Welcome into a new edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, back again with one of the great draft experts in the game today, Prez. And Alex, we, we get into the tail end of the R.J. Barrett debate that has now gone on for three episodes. And I would argue every little morsel of it is warranted. Uh, but then we go a little different direction with Prez. Yeah, so we finish off this really fun R.J. thing, which was like a one-off conversation in... Uh in our our trade values episode and and you know finish that off which now as you pointed out is stretched across three episodes here and then we finish off talking about a couple guys that i think uh nick fans should be pretty interested in patrick williams and tyrese maxey uh two guys that i think you could definitely make a case for being trade back candidates uh but also you know are, are guys that could potentially be sleepers for the number eight pick and you know guys that will probably have some link to the Knicks one way or the other, you know, via scouting and workouts and whatever is that all sort of sorts itself out. So we get into that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna even push back too on like, like Hero and even Brandon Clark. I mean. Gavin, like when you said, you know, I think I'd take Brandon Clark over RJ. I, I didn't even necessarily. And, yeah, and, I said, that's a baby, to be clear. Yeah, and I mean, you remember me, like, and yeah. I, I'm sure anybody who's listening to the show for over a year remembers. I mean, I was like, I literally like put myself out there almost like making a fool of myself asking every single draft person that we brought on here, like, why is Brandon Clark not in consideration for like a top three, four, five pick? Like, why is he consistently being mocked at 10 or lower? Because I just I couldn't understand why. Because I, I I looked at his skills and I'm like he's obviously going to be a, a good NBA player. Um, but it's it, it's sort of I mean Gavin you said it and then Prez you, you followed up on it like it comes back to role and spacing and opportunities and all this other stuff and I think it's important when we're looking at and judging RJ's performance from his rookie year to understand like. Okay, he had poop emoji spacing. Like, we've already established that. He, uh, you know, like, literally, they don't make a number low enough for how bad the Knicks spacing was. And, you know, he he played the first quarter of his NBA career, or not even, I guess, uh, technically a third, because he didn't even get to finish off his rookie season properly. So, basically, the first third of his rookie year, he played under David Fisdale, who I think we can all agree universally was a horrendously bad coach. Um, who, again, like Prez, to your point, put him in weird situations, throwing him at point guard pretty much right away, partly out of necessity, partly just experimenting, which oddly, some of those some of those minutes were pretty good. So that was actually, at times, kind of a decent experiment. But then, like, you know, he had to play the rest of the season, even though he got a coaching improvement in Mike Miller. You had, you know, plenty of minutes with Julius Randle and Alfred Payton starting with him, who... Those two consistently just played, 
you know, a two-man game for most of their minutes together where they would just essentially only look for one another. And the amount of times that RJ was just, like, left standing in the corner, like, waving his arms and then eventually putting his head down and trotting back the other way after Julius Randle bowled into, you know, five defenders again. Um, You know, there was so many of those possessions, too, that just kind of stunted what could have been I mean, realistically, RJ could have... RJ shot pretty well from the corners. I think... I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if I remember right, he shot, like, almost, like, 35% from the corners or maybe even a little more than that. He shot from the corners. The problem is the shooters shoot great from the corners. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but, like, my point being, he had... I mean, you could probably point out three, four potential open looks per game that just went completely unnoticed because Randall just couldn't lift his head up. Um, or just, I swear there were times where Randall was intentionally freezing him out at times. Whereas you look at other teams around the league, you look at hero who plays on, you know, the heat that have this like fantastic coach and fantastic players and culture and everything installed. And, you know, it, it, everybody on that team has the right mentality because they have to, or else they don't get playing time. Uh, and, you know, you look at guys like, like Clark and Morant who, you know, along with Jaron Jackson Jr., were basically just given the keys to the kingdom and said, you guys can make mistakes. You can go out there, you know, play a good brand of basketball. Like, we're going to trust you to do whatever. And, you know, you don't have to answer to anybody. Like, they were basically the top dogs on their team. It was John Morant, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. were, like, the future and also were entrusted with being the present. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's important to evaluate RJ through that lens as well, on top of just what we actually saw from him is the fact that he was just in such a crappy situation. And you could argue he was in a crap. I mean, to my point earlier, I think he was in a crappy situation in college, too, to a degree. You know, being asked to do things that maybe he wasn't necessarily comfortable with, or, like, certainly, you know, he had the consensus number one overall prospect on his team that Coach K essentially decided to turn into, like, a decoy at the end of most games rather than have him be part of the game plan and take some of the load off RJ, which would maybe, you know, open things up for RJ more to win the games in those situations. Um, so I guess that's, that's sort of the crux of how I feel about the whole thing is like, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I, I think it's easy to be hard on RJ because there are obviously some moments where you look and you're like, I think he's got a lot to improve on. And I do think he has a lot to improve on. Uh, but, you know, you also look at, you have to look at like the context behind, you know, some of the numbers and, some of the situations he was put in and then, you know, also look at some of these like standout plays where, I mean, he showed legitimate, like next level, you know, NBA passing, you know, highlight level stuff at at different points of the season. That was really poorly put, but you know what I mean? He just, he had certain moments this season that really made you say, wow. And it's, I think it's fairly easy to envision with better coaching, hopefully this year, and you know, a, a coach is more willing to empower him over the the other guys on the team that didn't necessarily have his best interests in mind, and were mostly just kind of looking out for themselves at times over the last you know year. I I can envision him having a big year two jump potentially because of that, but I guess that remains to be seen. But I I, I feel like we should probably start wrapping up this general conversation. But I think I guess this kind of just comes back to I would I, I still stand by I mean I, I definitely think you guys have made some good points and I'm like maybe a tiny bit swayed in some ways but I still stand by that I think even given everything that we know 
about what we saw on the court this year, I think I would still take RJ at the at the minimum second overall in this draft, and I would consider him for the number one pick versus Lamelo. And you know, I, I with the point being that there are plenty of guys every single year that we look at prior to the draft and say, oh, I could envision this for them. But as we see every year with the draft, what we envision almost never comes to pass. You know, it's 80% or more of the time, guys don't hit the level that people can see from them coming out of college. And like, just in a strictly 1v1 comparison of, let's say, like, I think Anthony Edwards, by and large, is viewed as the second best prospect in the class behind LaMelo. So if I'm comparing him to RJ, I look and I see similar players that had similar concerns coming out of college, similar stats, except for RJ consistently has shown through his rookie year and even some in college that he's a pretty cerebral player. Um, He's a, a really tireless worker and seems to really care about winning and getting better himself and making sure the team gets better. Whereas yeah, like motor is not a question with RJ. Yeah. Whereas Edwards, the biggest question is his motor. You know, he's got like all these skills just like RJ did, but no motor. And it, I mean, I won't say no motor, like that's cruel. Obviously he cares to some degree or he wouldn't be at this high of a level, but like, you know, I'd rather take like a, a, a well-trained, you know, a well, tra- if we're if we're relating it to like like a horse or something, like if R- RJ's like a well trained racehorse that can win you the occasional race and you know will show flashes, but by and large just does what you say and and is gonna get better over time and whatever. Whereas Edwards is like some crazy like wild horse that maybe you could tame into winning a race one time, but like the chances of it ever actually where he has all the talent in the world, but he's got a you know weird attitude and there's just like a really high chance it's just not gonna work out. Um, I think I'll probably take the, you know, the RJ horse in that scenario, but yeah, it's sorry. That's another long winded rant on mine. I've had a lot of thoughts cooking over the last day on this, this <laughs> issue though. So I'm glad that we got to air them all out here. Cause it's, it's been an interesting, like 24 hours in my brain to think yeah, about. Yeah, I, I feel like you fell asleep and dreamed about this last night, Alex. I may have, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not like a lucid dreamer or anything, so I don't really remember too much, but, uh, yeah, and possibly it's, it's entirely possible. This is on my brain last night. Yeah, it's yes, like the director's cut version of a 1:30 a.m. like Twitter argument. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good analogy. Um, the other thing we really wanted to cover with you, or at least, or I, I wanted to get into, like uh, Alex might have another guy he wants to ask you about, but uh, Patrick Williams. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you very recently put out a draft profile on him, and and he was sort of the the mystery guy for me. Like I, I just kept hearing his name brought up by different people and that sort of he's been like the big riser like over like the course of like the pandemic like when everyone uh when all the teams had a chance to go back and look at guys tape and, and i mean some of the initial descriptions I'm like why isn't this dude in consideration for a top five pick like giant six eight wing bulky like really high level athlete like monster monster defender and, and then every, i read the full profile i kind of get why he's sort of like in that in between range like whether he'll go like in the middle of the lottery late lottery maybe somehow fall out um, but uh, I'd love a quick summary on him and like what you think about his potential fit on the Knicks. Yeah, so I'll give a quick plug. Um, I don't know exactly when it's coming out, but we have a bonus thing on him coming out about this exact question. It's like the, the short profile was more just here's an introduction to Magic Williams and how he is as a NCAA player and how he is as a prospect. But like 
why the Knicks should take him, we have a, a thing coming out on the Strickland, so be on the lookout for that. Um, it's not by me, so I don't even know. I know it's going to be fire, but I know I don't I don't know the details yet. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a legit big wing. He's a four, and and I say that because on offense, he you can't have him play down so much, and on defense, he's. He can defend. He's a good help defender, like a lot of the FSU guys. But he's you're really taking away from his strengths if you're like, all right, go defend, you know, CJ McCollum on this possession because of a switch, or go defend Joe Harris running around or something like that. He's at his best in the the Giannis Ben Simmons role, AD role, where he can help, but he's still mostly closer to the hoop than he is 30 feet away and he's like deterrent like he's he's bringing the pain when people come into the paint he's being a secondary shot uh, a rim protector in addition to your big man um and you see that with a lot of really good defenses in the nba these days um you look at guys like Giannis, ad ben simmons pascal siakam um that archetype of power forward who provides help defense provides rim protection is switchy in a pinch but mostly focuses on just terrorizing people in and around the paint um separately from your big man um that's a super valuable archetype and if you're talking about a player like that who can hit a spot up three-pointer and has a little enough handle to get a little you know, you could you watch Patrick Williams and like one day, you, like sometimes you're just like, what the, why, like why give the ball to somebody else? Like they keep the ball moving and he mostly does that, but sometimes he's just kind of like a little confused out there. But like he can do a little in and out, he can do a little cross, and he really good mid range shooter. Um, he didn't shoot threes well in college, but he shot. I I don't have them on hand, but he shot okay from three in high school as well. So I and he shoots like eighty four percent from the line. So between the free throws and the mid-range, like, he'll probably be, he won't, I don't think he'll be a bad, he'll be like a Paul Millsap type three-point shooter at worst, I think, where I'm like, I don't know if the defense is going to respect it, but I know he'll take it, and he won't be, like, horrible out here, you know, it's not an Andre Roberson situation. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's, he's very, because he kind of needs that specific role and he needs to get chances to shine in that specific role, like, he, there's a lot of leeway for a team to fuck that up. Um, like, if you're like, no, like, we don't have the proper defense, we don't have the personnel, like, we, we you're going to have to defend on the perimeter more, right? Or you're going to have to switch a little bit more. Um, or, you, you know, you're going to have to shoot a little bit more. Like, you want him to be, like, the... F- fourth fifth usage guy on the court on offense and you want him to have a specific role on defense and going away from that puts it would put a big dent in his value um because he's not a good passer uh he's he's a if you look at him his legs look like tree trunks so he's not like super he's super strong and can jump but he's not like a ballerina hopscotch feet type dude to just like all right, I'm gonna I'm lock up James Harden in a pinch, like, like that Gokoro or Frank or something like that. So he, 
he's not quite an Okoro level individual defender, and he's not quite a Vassell. He's a really good team defender, but not in the way Vassell is. Vassell is just like in the passing lanes and like a magnet. Uh, Okoro, I mean not Okoro, uh, Williams, like I said, he's like that AD Ben Simmons mold, like the baby version. He's the youngest American player in the draft, so it's the consistency of all of this is still up in the air, but that's what you're aiming for. And it is kind of crazy that you could get him at like 8, 9, 10, but you know, once you think about like take him on the Knicks, like would they put him in a position to succeed? Like what he we were gonna get him and he's gonna be the backup to Julius Randle and then play half his minutes with like Tibbs, Taj Gibson. And like maybe that works, but like if we're doing a switch say we had, you know, Kenny Atkinson, alternate universe, like, all right, what are we gonna do? Like switch everything with with him? Like there's lots of ways to to screw up using him and developing him. So it's and and, he, and that's why he's one of those players who is like almost like Clark, well, not like Clark, but similar in the sense that like a smart team would know when to use him and a smart team will know what is the appropriate draft range to pick him. So there's a kind of likelihood that he goes to a smart team and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that he was destined to be good. Even though like if the Kings took him or some shit, you'd you'd be like, oh, this ain't gonna work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I... I don't know. I I feel like he's a guy I really need to watch a lot more on. And obviously the profile just came out today on Strickland. So I got to read through that. I want to I want to watch a bunch of film on Williams, though, just to sort of educate myself, because I do think he's definitely one of those guys, along with like Poku and and Kyra Lewis, that I would look at if the Knicks were to entertain the, you know, the the idea of trading back and, you know, trying Mm -hmm. to. You know, let's say Okongwu went to them, you know, went to the Knicks pick or something, and some team was like, oh, I want Okongwu, and they were willing to trade up. Then the Knicks, you know, get into a position where they could say, okay, well, maybe Kyra or Poku or like Patrick Williams will be there. Although there's a lot of reports now coming out saying that Patrick Williams is maybe drawing top 10 interest. So I guess we'll see. Obviously, that means someone else ends up falling. So uh, we'll see how that all ends up shaking out. Uh, I am kind of curious too, though, Prez. I mean, I. I should probably know this considering I talk to you more or less on a daily basis and edit stuff from you pretty much daily as well. Uh, but I'm curious if there are any guys since the last time we spoke on the pod, which I think was about a month ago now, time flies. Uh, but if there's anybody that you've sort of changed gears on in any way or anybody lately that has been making you think a little differently, you know what I mean? Um, it, that you've come around on or that you've gotten lower on, you know, just either direction as far as since the last time we talked. Just a quick reminder, today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. And I should note, it now somehow tastes even better. That's right. Built Bar took a little bit of time off and went back in the lab, as an NBA player might say, Worked on their form a little bit, you know, got their jumper right. And they came back with somehow making their their bars even more delicious and even more tasty than ever before. And not only that, they came back and gave us six new flavors as well. We got caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp these days. 
to go with some of your other other favorites from before, like German chocolate, salted caramel, orange, uh, coconut, and peanut butter brownie, uh, amongst many others. We're now up to 18 total flavors. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they are soft and easy to chew. I've related the experience before to like a like a slightly denser Three Musketeers. Very like chewy, kind of nougaty texture to these bars. Very enjoyable to eat compared to some of the more chalky, gross alternatives that have existed for decades now and seemingly not gotten any better despite uh, advancements in food and science uh, over the years. So Built Bars for the future. Built Bars are also pretty good for you, all things considered. Uh, they have 19 grams of protein in the peanut butter bar to go against only 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And if you go with the nut-free options, which, by the way, all nut-free built Bars are made in nut-free facilities. For those of you with nut allergies, uh, you can eat them with confidence. But say, for example, the cookies and cream bar has 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar and 4 grams of net carbs. That is a really good bang for your buck. Uh, both literally and figuratively. And the literal part of the bang for your buck comes from the fact that if you want to try Built Bars, you can go to BuiltBar.com right now and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get $10 off your next order. Again, if you use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Yeah, not really. Um, There's one guy, Tyrese Maxey. Everybody else is pretty much the same, like... Guys like Okoro or Williams, I'm like, these guys can, like, they have such high variance that, like, that within... changing your mind over a bunch. <laughs> I, I just straight up don't know, so I'm not going to, like, I, I don't feel strongly enough to go out on a limb, and I'm, I don't feel, like, enough of a hater where I'm going to, even though I know I sound like an Okoro hater, like, he's still really good at stuff on day one when he comes in, so, like, he's not a project, he just doesn't shoot well. That's a different thing. So unlike Pat Williams, who's a project. And anyway, Tyrese Maxey is the guy. Um, I, I started researching for a little more detail for a thing on him. And I was down on him before because he's a tweener combo guard. He's six foot three, but he can't. He's not a great passer, so he can't run an offense. And he's a good defender. But I'm like, if you're, if you're undersized at the two, like, like, you're a good defender, but whoop de do Like, you're not going to... There's going to be a lot of twos who you don't bother, let alone threes and fours. So, like, like whatever, Tyrese Maxey. Like, I don't care how high your motor is and how good your character is, but I don't know. It's just... Maybe it's the Coach Cal- Calipari thing where I'm like, I got to look extra closely just in case he might be secretly good, like all these motherfuckers that come out of Kentucky. Yeah. They, they have kind of a, <laughs> So, you know, that's what I did. I looked at a lot of them and I was like, what were we missing with all these Kentucky guys? And usually it has some combination, it has something to do with, you know, the role they're in. Cal puts kids in roles that they're, he knows they'll be good at. And sometimes that diminishes some NBA skills they have, even though they might have them. The classic example is Cat shooting threes. He was a great three point shooter in high school. And Cal was like, nah, zero three pointers for you. So, shit like that or Devin Booker who could clearly handle the rock but they were like no you're like Rip Hamilton for us like that's all you are and you're gonna be damn good at it and he was so and their team was exceptional so it usually works out for Cal 
um, and 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 when kids work on those specific things that may not be their strengths, but they can be good at, that also helps them for their NBA careers, right? Like Cat developed his post game in Kentucky with new Knicks assistant coach Kenny Payne, so it's a win-win situation for everybody except draft prognosticators. <laughs> and with Maxi, they had him; they basically used him like like Joe Harris, Rip Hamilton. Kyle Korver, they had him running off screens like crazy, full sprinting speeds. I've never seen a player who, I mean, he's a good shooter, but I don't think he's a great shooter. His shot mechanically looks beautiful, a little low release, but it looks pretty good. But he shot 29% from three um, in Kentucky, uh, 31% his senior year of high school. He was shot much better before that, and the shot looks good, and the free throw percentage is good. So there's a reason to buy the shot, but there's also a reason to, like yellow flag it kind of um anyway i just it's just weird they had a guy who's not like a tyler harrow who basically they were doing the same things with um like they had him running off like the baseline at like full sprint and he's catching and either shooting or putting it on the deck and cutting with the ball which he's really good at and drawing fouls or finishing which he's really good at and i just didn't it's just like what do you make of a player this weird and odd so that's one of the reasons um I got a thing coming out. I have no idea when it's going to come out, but it's on Tyrese Maxey just because he's kind of a fascinating player. And I think if the Knicks were to trade down and get him uh, in a trade down and put him at the two and not the one and just say, like, all right, he's undersized, but he knows what he's doing in team defense and he's a motor is not a question. Effort and strength, physical strength is not a question. Like, he's a good defender. He just happens to be six foot three. Um, so like, you know, he's going to bust his ass on both sides of the court. You know, he's going to move off the ball, which no Nick has done in 20 years. And you know, he's like a a little things guy too. And he also has a little bit of upside, which I'll get into in the piece because I'm like, there's no way this guy was a McDonald's all American because he ran off screens and shot mediocre from three. Like he had to be good at other stuff in high school and spoiler alert. He was, um, he was creating shots for himself like a Cole Anthony. Maybe not the same level, but in that style. And he didn't really get to sh- show that as much at Kentucky. So I think he has a little bit of upside. So I kind of I had him 14 on my board when we when we dropped the site on Lottery Day. I don't know where he'd go now, but it's higher than that. It's higher than... I'd probably put him closer to like 10 something, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right, uh, Prez, I think that's that's honestly like a pretty uh, – Alex, unless you had anything else, I think that's a pretty good note to wrap up on. Um, yeah, I think this is a sure. good a time as any. It's turned into a pretty long pod for when we imagined would probably take about 30 minutes, as per usual, just par for that, the course. You know? that, that's what we do. That's what we do yeah. here, Locked on Knicks. Um, Prez, before we send you out, uh, can you tell people where to find you on social media? And I know you talked a little bit about pieces you have coming up, but maybe maybe tell everyone – um, what you've done the last few weeks because you, you've just been churning these out. I've been I've read them every single day. They're all so so good. Um, and even just the general like big board you guys have over at the Strickland. I'm Alex. I'm not sure this is you or someone else, but I love the art on it. And I actually like I, I feel like it's like very similar to the Ringers stylistically. But I actually I like the analysis more. So I really I really highly suggest that people go there and check it out. Yeah. So on Twitter underscore p-r-e-z-i-d-e-n-t-e um the strict.land 
Uh, yeah, we're we're doing short draft profiles on pretty much everybody in the lottery who's in, in contention for the lottery, and then a few longer pieces on interesting guys. Um, so there's lots of stuff out there, and right now, I think we're up to like the ninth or tenth person. Um, we just did Pat Williams and Okoro. Uh, I think Railer might be next. Pat's My actually favorite. seventh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pat seventh. God damn. Yeah. There's these yeah. people are higher on Pat than me. That's that's why. Because there's a yeah. consensus to several people, not just yeah. my big board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pat seventh. Next up is Riller, uh, and then after him, uh, trying to, I'm trying to see if I can remember it off the top of my head. I know Poku is ten. Our big board uh, is all about upside. Nobody gives a fuck about job safety. Yeah, like Avdia is eleven. Who's like, I saw Halliburton fourteen. That surprised me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because nobody gives a shit about job safety mm-hmm. yeah it's a bit of a different sort of big board um but yeah that was actually john shulman who we should probably have on the show again sometime aka stingy he he took care of that i took care of the free agency big board but yeah it was a it was a team effort but yeah it's it's been a lot of good content uh uh just opportunity to praise you on air there's been some very good draft profiles flying out of the strict dot land so i i I have absolutely no other interests in this site whatsoever other, other than just telling people that it's a really good site for draft profiles. Uh, so I feel like everybody should go take a look. <laughs> Me with my completely objective analysis of the website. Uh, Prez, thank you so much for coming on and having this discussion with us, especially on short notice. We sort of just put this together in a day because we uh, were curious about it and wanted to get into it. So thanks so much for coming on. And uh I'm sure we'll talk again soon, probably sometime before you draft. Alrighty, thank y'all.